Good morning and Happy New Year. Welcome to the year 2023. Every year we get a little farther away from 2020 is a good thing, right? Anyway, welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. All of you who, uh, who managed to get out of bed this morning, I know that can be hard. If, you know, I know how hard Bruce was partying last night. <laughs> Our scripture today comes from John chapter 1, 29 through 51. This is Jesus' introduction as a person in, in the Gospel of John. If you wanted to follow along in your pew Bibles, they are on 750. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one who I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. Then he saw Jesus passing by. He said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them and asked, what, asked them why they were following. What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you shall see. And so they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas which is translated as Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Peter and Andrew, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and of whom the prophets also spoke. He is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, he said, Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Blessed is the word. 
Amen. As many of you know, I love words. In fact, I found a great new program this week where I can say, copy the entire Gospel of John into it, where it will count how many times every single word is used, and then make a really cool image of Jesus' face made out of the words out of the book of John. That's what that is, by the way. I, I have fun with that kind of thing. I don't know why word art's amazing. I also made one for myself of a raven with Poe's face on either side of it. I have a good time with things like that. <laughs> I like words. And of all the words out there, the words that often mean the most to us are our names. Now, there's really kind of three kinds of names we all have. There's our given names, the names that, well, we had no say in. There are the names that we earn, either through aging or through, through earning of degrees or of positions, like that first time someone calls you Mr. Wenger is weird, but it happens. Um, you know, or, you know, a principal being called that, you know, someone in the military being called by their rank or a doctor, or I'll tell you, I'm still not used to being called Pastor Andrew. A lot of you call me that. When I introduce myself, I usually say I'm Andrew, pastor at the Church of the Brother, pastor at Springfield Church. It's just a little odd. And then there are the names that others give us, titles, nicknames. I've had a few in my day. The most obvious are the ones off my name, names like Drew and Andy, I have one girl who used to call me Andy, Andy Rue, none of which I'm really a fan of. Then there are the, you know, the names that I got in high school that I won't bear to repeat because most of them were meant to make fun of me and I don't really care for them anyway. Thankfully, I forgot most of them. And a few nicknames I have liked. I had a buddy in high school who called me Woody. I don't remember why. Uh, Sasquatch. I was Sasquatch in college. Why? Well, because my roommates seldom saw me, and I am and continue to be a very hairy man. Like Sasquatch, I'm hairy and seldom seen. And Cap. Cap is actually a nickname I earned twice at Friendly's. The first was meant as a bit of a mock. It was right when I first began, and I trained as a breakfast and, and uh, lunch cook, but then I became a dinner cook, and Lauren was working morning shifts. She was a, a dog groomer at the time. Anyway, uh, once in a while, she would have a morning off, and we would go over to the outlets at Hershey, where we would often grab coffee, and we would just walk around. It's one of the few places where you could walk underneath a roof when the blazing sun or it was raining. We would walk around, and then I'd come to work, often carrying my Venti cappuccino. And so they started calling me cappuccino. Cappuccino isn't something you can yell, you say quickly. You can't say, hey, cappuccino, I need five burgers. You, no, you start saying, hey, cap. Well, turnover happened, and the name became less used. Only one or two of the older servers that I had worked with a long time still called me that from time to time. 
But then they invented a new position. They called it line captain. To be fair, it was everything I was already doing as far as my job goes. I was already training and cleaning and organizing and running the line. But now I got a cool uh, navy blue chef's jacket that I had to keep clean myself with uh, embroidered upon it in red, captain. Also got a scarlet uh, skull cap. It was fun. It was heavy. It was hot. Anyway. Sure, sure enough, the new trainings I was teaching started calling me captain, as I was the only one in the store at the time. And eventually that was shortened to just simply cap. It was funny how that happened twice. I remember the day I realized that it happened, and just coincidentally. Anyway. I wore that nickname until I left Friendlies. Titles, nicknames, they're a way that we see ourselves and how others see us, a form of connection and sometimes of disdain. They are a way we can define someone. If we even think about the way that many, many last names have been formed, it was simply a way to describe someone, who someone was, like Jameson or Fredrickson. You know, it's the son of somebody. I, I can tell you my last name is Wenger, which comes from the word Wengen, which is a small valley in Switzerland. So everybody who from that valley in Switzerland is a Wenger, which no one knows exactly what it means, but we think maybe Green Meadow. My mom's last name is Heiser, which is German for the word horse, not as in, you know, clip-clop, clip-hop, but like, I'm a little horse today, which if you ever hear my grandfather laugh, he, he laughs like, <laughs> so I, I think it's, it's something along those lines. I love my grandpa's laugh. You can't hear him from the other room, but when you're in the room, you know grandpa's happy. So... This is how John starts his gospel, by giving us a bunch of names to describe Jesus, to try and zero in on who this man is. Now, yes, he starts by telling us that Jesus is the Logos, the Word of God, as we discussed back in Advent. But of course, when Jesus comes to earth, nobody knows that he is the Logos. And so when John... I'm going to have to make this clear. John, and I say John today, I mean John the evangelist. When I mean John the Baptist, I'm just going to say the Baptist, because this is going to get really confusing really quick, because both are talking. So when John introduces Jesus, much the same way Mark does by introducing him through the Baptist and the Baptist's ministry of repentance and baptism, um, he is proclaimed as the greater that uh, the Baptist was waiting for, the Savior that was expected. Now, John's gospel is a little different. John's gospel is always a little different when we compare it to the other three. It is the non-synoptic gospel, basically saying that John wasn't reading Mark and writing his copy next to it like Luke and, John, Luke and Matthew were. Anyway... John doesn't tell us that Jesus was baptized. If you read it in there, Jesus is not baptized in John. Of course he doesn't need to because John doesn't think it's important. After all, why would Jesus, the God incarnate, need to be baptized? 
John, it's just not that important. He also doesn't go into the wilderness to be tempted. They are just not simply important details to him. Instead, Jesus starts by being recognized by the, the voice calling out from the wilderness and then immediately starts gathering the 12. He calls Andrew, who brings Simon, uh, who becomes Peter. He calls Philip, who brings Nathaniel. Um, and perhaps another unnamed disciple of John's, we're not really clear on whether that's Nathaniel or not. Now, each of them, along with the Baptist and Jesus himself, will attempt to define who this man is by giving him nicknames and titles. He will be called in this short section the following names in order. Lamb of God, Rabbi, Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, Son of God, King of Israel, Son of Man. I'll tell you a secret about John. John is obsessed with the number seven. All things are in seven. There are seven titles given here. Seven times Jesus will declare, I am the something, like I am the true vine. I am the way, the truth, the life. Seven times he will be asked who he is, and he will answer, I am, echoing the name of God given to Moses. Seven times he will perform great signs. The gospel is separated into seven sections, an introduction. Jesus in the institutions, Jesus in the feast, Jesus raising Lazarus, which is the center of the gospel. Jesus' final words, Jesus' death and resurrection, and the epilogue. Now, in Judaism, seven is a sacred number, uh, associated with God, associated with completion, and associated with salvation. John is not concerned about telling Jesus' story in an order like the other Gospels. He doesn't want to write a biography. In fact, it's strange as Jesus will spend a good part of John's Gospel in and around Jerusalem, not in Galilee. Rather, he wants to use these repeating sevens to present signs and declarations in a way that will lead you, the reader, to conclude and concur with his opening and closing statements. Opening statement being, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory and the glory of the one, who is, the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Out of the fullness we have received grace in place of grace already given, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And the end statement being, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that, you, that by believing you may have life in his name. That is John's purpose. And he will do it in sevens. The other thing to know is that John understands that it's hard for people to comprehend this idea of Jesus as being God. Now, 
I know this sounds a little strange to you. You all know that Jesus is God, but guess what? You've had 2,000 years of tradition teaching you that Jesus is God. John's world, that is John the writer, John the evangelist, is not one who believes that can actually happen. John isn't just an expert in Judaism, but in Greek philosophy and the meaning of the two. We can tell this from the very beginning. He uses the word logos to describe the nature of Jesus. This isn't an idea that has existed in, in, uh, in Judaism for very long. It actually was introduced by a man named Philo of Alexandria, who was Jewish and lived only 20, 30 years before Jesus. But he made this connection between Greek and Jewish philosophies, and it was especially influenced by groups called the Stoics and the Pythagoreans. Yeah, the same guy who did the whole work on the triangle. He was more than just mathematics. It was a whole system of philosophy. But back in those days, philosophy, mathematics, and science, they were all kind of mixed up into one great big soup of magnificent insanity. Uh, but anyway, the Stoics and the Pythagoreans used this idea of logos, the word, as a way that the divine, that which is holy, that which is separate from this world, the mundane, can connect with the mundane. But they, along with the Jews, believed that there was a barrier between the two. The divine could not actually directly influence the human world because the divine was too, uh, too pure, too perfect. Think of how the ancient Jews, when they built the tabernacle, they had to go through all these elaborate processes of purifying and cleansing themselves just to approach the tent. They believed much the same way in ancient Greece. So, John knows that this idea that God could incarnate into a body, live a human life with all that entails from doing, you know, from needing to eat and needing to use the bathroom as being something very impure, but that Jesus, that God could do that. And not only that, that God could die. This isn't just foreign to Jews and the Greeks of his days, this is beyond foreign. This is pressing against their very understanding of how the world works. It would be like me up here telling you that up is down and that gravity doesn't exist. Now, I have no evidence to prove that to you, but maybe I could write a whole gospel with a series of sevens to try and convince you of that, and maybe I would have luck. John knows he is fighting a losing battle, and he's going to have to give everything he can. So he is starting at the beginning by slowly building up an understanding of this character, Jesus, and of who he is. And so he starts with these seven names. Again, they are Lamb of God, Rabbi, Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, Son of God, King of Israel, Son of Man. Now, some of these are really easy and simple. Rabbi, we all know that. I, you know, it's, it's funny we need to have the parentheses in the Bible that says rabbi, which means teacher, which actually it's in the Greek because he put 
the Hebrew rabbi in there, and then he needed to tell the Greeks what it meant. But anyway, you know, we all know a rabbi is a teacher, and he will spend most of his life as a teacher, handing out knowledge about the kingdom and the way of living in it. Messiah, also pretty easy one. Messiah, Christ, the anointed one, who will bring about the fulfillment of the ancient prophecies and restore the kingdom of Israel. Title, you know, King of Israel, same idea, except we kind of shifted from kind of this prophetic idea to a more political idea in doing such. Jesus of Nazareth, also pretty straightforward. It, it tells us he is a human person. He has a place of origin. He has a father whose name here is Joseph. He has probably a mom and a family, maybe some brothers and sisters. He's got, you know, he, at home his mom has his handprint on a little plaque on the wall somewhere. It tells us he's human. Then we have the three little more complicated idea, or names that he is given. John is making his first stab at telling us that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. Now, Son of God is a title that very rarely appears anywhere in the Bible outside of the Gospels, well, outside the New Testament. So very rarely out in the Old Testament. But it appeared a lot in books that never made it into the Bible. Popular Jewish texts that just didn't make the canon. But they were reserved. It wasn't like these were literal sons of God, but rather these were people who were great people. They were great and righteous prophets, kings, and judges who were like they were the sons of God. When Philip calls Jesus son of God, he's not actually saying your dad is, is God. What he's saying is you are like these great kings and prophets and I can't and judges of the old days. You are like them. Now, this is absolutely ironic, and John means it to be that, because he's saying this, not saying you're the son of God, but you are, you are a righteous man, when what he actually is saying is true. Jesus really is the son of God, and Philip will struggle to believe this. Philip will be the person who says, how, how can you show me you are God in chapter 14? And Jesus is like, I've been showing you the whole time. Son of man is the opposite. Honestly, son of man is probably meant more for you and me. As Jesus it shows over and over and over again that he is something more than human, that he is divine, this phrase that only Jesus uses for himself is there to remind us that he is also human. He is a son. I've been reading and listening to, to uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with Gracie, Jesus is a son of Adam. He is human. He is flesh and blood. He, he lives the same lives that we do. That His feet hurt at the end of a long day's walk, and he probably has a couple of blisters, that he gets hungry, that he gets tired, that he wakes up some mornings and really wishes for that cup of coffee to be ready already. Okay, maybe not that one, as you know, coffee wasn't around yet. But he was really looking forward to that morning glass of wine, which he would have had anyway. 
son of man, son of God, are playing off of each other, telling us that he is both at the same time. And lastly is Lamb of God. Now, lambs have always been a symbol of purity throughout the history of Judah. It is the lamb's blood, after all, painted on the doorpost and lintel that, that protected them during the Passover, the angel of death. It is the lamb's blood on the altar that their sins are washed away and they are made right with God. It also echoes the, the story of the binding of Isaac when God provides a ram in substitution for Isaac. God has provided this lamb. And gee, the Baptist calling Jesus as such not only names Jesus as the one who will wash away the sins of humanity, but foreshadows his death as the medium by which that sin is erased. So, if you took this chapter as a whole, you took those seven names and you fit them all together, you could read these seven names to, as meaning Jesus born and not created, thus fully human and fully God, is the teacher and the messianic king of Israel who will take on the sins of the world and die to cleanse them. Right from the beginning, John tells us who he is, but he knows that we can't handle the truth. Or at least the ancient Greeks couldn't, for whom he was writing for. But what does that mean for us? Because you know what? I don't think any of us in here will deny that Jesus is God. We all know that. But maybe what we don't know is that we sometimes have allowed this to blind us to the stories. We'll be working through the Gospel of John, watching the disciples struggle to comprehend who this man was. While in the other Gospels, they were all waiting for this Messianic king who would rise up and bring about Israel. And yeah, they're doing that here in John as well. They're also just struggling to understand who this man is entirely. They'll struggle to understand that he is the I Am. So, as we work through the gospel together, as we hear the stories, as we watch Jesus battle with his disciples, with the authorities, with the culture, with the Romans, maybe we too will get a chance to see something new in him. So, as we think about this, as we embrace John and his story as we embrace John and his mysticism and his signs, let us be open to the ancient magic that worked in it, that brought so many people to Christ over the centuries. May we be challenged in what we believe is true, that up might be down, that gravity might not exist, but they do, just as an example. That it is possible for God to come to earth, to live, to die. That it's possible for a human to live a perfect life. May we be challenged as we read John together. And when we come to the end, I love how, how it was explained to us in seminary. I had a wonderful teacher who said he hated seminary when he started 
So he came into his first formation class, and formation class is meant to challenge you. He said, they took away my Jesus. This is the Jesus I loved and believed in. They took away him. I hated them for it. I yelled about it. I screamed. I cried. I prayed. But when I came to the other end of the, of the story, I found that I had been given my Jesus back. But this Jesus was different. This Jesus was a whole lot bigger. So as we read John together, may you find your Jesus and find him a lot bigger. Thank you. I'm going to pull a little bit back out of C.S. Lewis again because today on our way into the drive, we finished listening to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And the thing that they remind you at the end is that Aslan, who is the allegory for Jesus, um, is a lion who is good but also terrible, as in frightening, terrifying, scary, and cannot be held down by humans. You know, he comes and he goes as you please. And so often when we think of Jesus, we think of this wonderful, smiling prophet that we understand and we know we forget he is God. You know, we, we know he is God, but we forget what that means, that he is something beyond, something wild, something dangerous. May we be challenged. May you be challenged as you go out in this world to see Jesus in new ways. And as I said, may, may when you get to the other side, may you find your Jesus has gotten bigger. Amen.